The Transmission, episode 89, March 28, 2010. So, Richard, what do we do next? <laughs> Is it, I, I have no idea what we do next. Aloha from the Island Lost fans. You are tuned into the transmission. This is a podcast devoted to the show Lost on ABC. I'm Jen. And I'm Ryan. And we're here to discuss the ninth episode of season six of Lost, Ab Eterno. Up next, we'll recap that episode in under eight minutes. Or at least we'll give it our best shot. Then we'll share our thoughts on the episode. We'll get to your great feedback in you all, everybody. Then we'll share the latest track from the Others Lost Band. And then we'll wrap things up with the latest week of filming reports and the forward cabin. So are you ready? Let's get lost. All right, so what happened in the ninth episode of the final season of Lost, Ab Eterno? We see Jacob's visit to Ilana in the Russian infirmary where she agrees to help him. He says that she has to protect six people, the remaining candidates, and get them to the temple. She asks what then, and he says Richard will know. On the island, Sun is telling Jack and Hurley that they're all candidates. Ilana says Richard knows what to do next, but Richard just laughs. Indeed, Richard says Jacob lies and that they're all dead and they're all in hell. He he says he's done with Jacob and wants to follow someone else. He runs off. Meanwhile, Hurley is speaking Spanish, and Jack thinks it's a message from Jacob. Hurley tells Jack it has nothing to do with him. Finally, Ben says Richard knows nothing, but he doesn't age, and Frank asks how that happened. Flashback, 1867, in the Canary Islands. Richard's wife, Isabella, is sick, and he says he's going to go get a doctor. She gives him her necklace. He rides to the night to see the doctor, but the doctor says that he lives too far away. He offers to sell Richard medicine to save her, but Richard doesn't have enough money. The doctor says the necklace is worthless. Richard begs the doctor for the medicine, and they start to struggle. The doctor stumbles and hits his head and dies. Richard races home to his wife but she is already dead. Soon enough, Richard is in jail. A priest comes to see him and sees that he's reading an English-language Bible. Richard says that he and his wife were planning to start a family in the New World. The priest offers to take Richard's confession, and Richard says he killed a man and asks for forgiveness. The priest says that there's no absolution for murder and no time to do penance, as Richard is going to be hanged. The next morning, they come for him, blindfold him, and bring him to a man. He checks Richard's teeth and asks about his English skills. The man pays the priest and tells Richard that he's now the property of Captain Magnus Hanso. Next, we see Richard and other slaves chained up in the Black Rock at sea in a huge storm. Someone spots an island and the statue and says that the island is guarded by a devil. A huge wave tosses the Black Rock at the statue and then darkness. Everyone comes to and the Black Rock is in the middle of the jungle. The ship's officer comes down and says that Captain Hanso is dead and that they're low on water and supplies. He starts killing the slaves, saying that if he freed them, them, they'd eventually kill him. But suddenly the smoke monster attacks, killing everyone except Richard. The smoke monster comes down and scans him, then disappears. Richard is then trapped on the Black Rock for days, trying to escape and living on rainwater. Suddenly he hears a woman's voice, and it's Isabella. She says that they're dead and in hell, and that she's there to save him before the devil comes back. Sure enough, we hear the roar of the smoke monster again. Richard tells Isabella to run, but as she exits the ship, we hear the smoke monster attack, and Isabella 
Bella screams. Richard, still trapped below, can do nothing. Finally, the man in black comes to Richard with water, saying he's a friend, but that he was on the island long before the ship. Richard asks about his wife, and the man in black says he has her. The man in black says he'll help Richard save Isabella because he wants to be free too, but Richard has to do anything he asks. Richard agrees, and the man in black releases him. He then tells Richard that the only way to escape from hell is to kill the devil. He gives him a dagger and directions to Jacob's statue. He tells Richard to stab him before he speaks. Richard asks how he can kill Black Smoke, and the man in black admits he's the Black Smoke. Richard realizes that he was responsible for killing everyone on the ship. The man in black tells Richard that the devil took his body and humanity, and if he wants to see Isabella again, he'll do it. Richard takes the dagger. Richard goes to the beach and finds the fallen statue, but before he can enter Jacob's lair, Jacob attacks him. Jacob asks Richard who he is and who gave him the dagger. Richard says that he just wants to see his wife, even though she's dead. Jacob realizes that Richard was sent by the man in black. Richard says that he and his wife are both dead and in hell. Jacob drags Richard into the water and almost drowns him until Richard admits that he wants to live. Richard asks if Jacob is the devil, and Jacob says no, but that he brought the ship to the island. He explains that the island is like a wine bottle cork that keeps evil and darkness in where it belongs, and that the man in black thinks man's very nature is to sin. Jacob says that he brings people to the island to prove him wrong, but admits that all who've come before failed. Jacob says that people need to see the difference between right and wrong without him telling them, but Richard says if he won't step in, the man in black will. So Jacob offers Richard a job as his representative to deal with the people that he brings to the island. In return, Richard wants to see his wife again, but Jacob says he can't do that. He also can't absolve Richard of his sins, but when Richard says he never wants to die, Jacob says he can do that and touches Richard's shoulders. Later, Richard returns to the man in black and gives him a white rock as a message from Jacob. The man in black says Jacob can be very convincing, but if Richard changes his mind, the offer still stands. He also gives Richard Richard Isabella's necklace then disappears. Richard finds a spot at the base of a tree and buries Isabella's necklace. Then we're back in the present and Richard returns to the tree to dig up her necklace. He yells out that he was wrong and that he changed his mind and wants to know if the offer still stands. But Hurley comes up instead, tells Richard that his wife sent him. He says that she wants to know why he buried her cross and that she's standing right next to him. Hurley adds that Isabella says Richard's English is awesome. Through Hurley, Isabella tells Richard that it wasn't his fault that she died, that it was just her time, and she says that he's suffered enough and that she misses him. He says that he'd do anything to be together again, but she says they already are. Then she's gone. Richard thanks Hurley, but Hurley says there's one more thing that Richard has to do. Hurley says that Richard needs to stop the man in black from leaving the island or else they're all going to hell. In the distance, Unlock watches on with a menacing look. Finally, we flash once more back to the 1800s and Jacob goes to visit the man in black who's holding Jacob's white rock. The man in black tells Jacob not to gloat. Jacob asks why the man in black tried to kill him and the man in black says he wants to leave. Jacob says that he won't as long as he's alive and that if he's killed, someone will eventually take his place. Jacob gives the man in black the wine bottle and says that he'll see him around. The man in black mutters, sooner than you think. And And thud. thud. And that is the ninth episode of season six of Lost Ab Eterno in under eight minutes. We'll take a quick break to catch our breath, and when we come back, we'll share our thoughts on this episode. (laughs) 
this week brought us the long-demanded, much-awaited, greatly anticipated Richard flashback. And I gotta ask you, Jen, was it worth the wait? Oh, yeah. I mean, to me, okay, I admit there was no forward momentum for the story on the island. We didn't learn a heck of a lot. Well, maybe one or two things. But, I mean, it was just so beautiful. It was epic. It was historic and and huge and you know i forgot for a little while that we were watching tv you know i forgot for a little while that we were watching lost and i say that's a good thing i can certainly see some of the objections i mean i thought the on island scenes like the campfire conversation was almost a little cheesy it was forced because it had to set the stage for what was about to happen yeah why do you suppose he got that way and the scenes with ilana and the in the russian infirmary i'm not entirely sure how that fits into it and maybe we can talk about that later but once we got into the richard backstory we were just transported into a new place it, it didn't feel like Lost. It felt like a movie. It felt like Masterpiece Theater. It felt like a historical drama. And uh, I was totally along for the ride. And the way I saw it is the writers are taking a big risk. The writers are taking chances here, mm-hmm. despite the fact that they feel this pressure to pay off. They feel this pressure to hit plot points and check things off on a checklist. They said, no, we're going to take the time to tell the story we want to tell. And I, for one, am glad that they took that chance. I, Richard has been such a fascinating character from the beginning, you know, he's kind of a combination of hired muscle and guidance counselor. And, you know, he's, there's so many facets to what he does that I really wanted to know where he'd been all this time, what was up with him. And I I was just very satisfied. And I'll be perfectly frank. Yes, some of the things that we hear, see or learn about him calls into question some things we also know about his past and we'll probably get to those as well but again it was just beautiful I like the, the Spanish I mean half of the episode in in Spanish and Richard Spanish is I think pretty awesome not that I'm an expert on that <laughs> but talk about a show in prime time giving you all of those subtitles in, in a foreign language telling this story of a different time the cinematography was beautiful the lighting just everything I was so conscious of the presentation that we were being given and the scene between Hurley and Richard and Isabella was beautiful and and haunting it was just kind of i thought that was the the best scene in in this episode was that scene between the three of them it yeah, was I mean, when haunting you, when you pay off richard's story when he finds his redemption there that was gorgeous i was i was struck most by the scene with isabella visiting richard in the dark in the black rock i mean mm-hmm. well who the man in black as isabella presumably but when she appears and she's kind of like this apparition but a real person who comes to see him brings him water i felt his thirst and i felt his joy yet utter confusion at seeing her there yeah. and i think there's even a little bit of terror because he knows that can't possibly be true that can't be happening it was in many ways a beautiful episode also kind of i thought a, a slightly darker episode uh, christine in ohio said it actually creeped her out it was a scary episode of Locke. Well, i don't know about that i think the scene in jacob's cabin with Locke and ben that that Ooh. scared the heck out of me that man. one's up there too but you know again i just saw a lot of depth and a lot of uh, just a lot of great contrast in this episode so for whatever we didn't get on the island it was totally worth it i think to take this trip i i thought it was just gutsy and i loved it so we did get richard's backstory we find that he had a wife that he loved dearly, mm-hmm. Isabella, and that uh, he lost her um, and as, and also was in trouble for killing someone, although by accident. I don't know about you, but I kind of saw some parallels like with very classic stories like Les Miserables and, you know, someone who does something wrong for a greater purpose, but right. is basically punished or lives a cursed life as a result of that. And the whole thing with the necklace at the end, the conversation through Hurley with Isabella, I mean, and basically how he 
is almost taken over to the dark side. He almost gives up all hope and says that, all right, I'll 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 make this deal because I need to see my wife again, but ends up staying hopefully on the side of Jacob. Kind of reminded me of, you know, Ben laying his heart bare to uh, to Ilana, but she oh, says right. that, you know, I'll take you as well. And again, so another great redemption scene, but I was having a hard time kind of understanding what the significance of the necklace was and what burying it and what uh, bringing it back up actually kind of accomplished. I, I don't know. I, I just, I found it interesting that, um, he, I think him burying the necklace was a little bit of a symbolic act, you know, oh, absolutely. I'm going to forget you. I, I mourn you, but you're gone. And when he brings the necklace back out, she visits him. So I think maybe the necklace somehow allowed her to visit. Well, I mean, she was talking to Hurley on the beach before he dug up the necklace, so there's right. that. But I do felt f- feel that bringing it up allowed that connection to happen because she says, I missed you. You know, almost as if since he's buried that necklace hundreds of years ago, um, that she's been gone, and he's finally basically kind of coming to terms with it. Right. At first, I thought digging it up was the sign of weakness because, again, yes, I'm willing to do the wrong thing if I can see her again, but I guess it's through the conversation where he sa- where he learns or she says that you don't need to make a deal with the man in black to physically see me to for me to be conjured and to right. be wandering around because I'm always with you and you have the necklace so that remembrance and remembering that I'm here is what matters most and that jumps right back to Sawyer and Little House on the Prairie and that whole conversation that the people who we think about are never really gone mm-hmm. and so that's kind of what's important so I did I did like that a lot I was just it was just kind of an interesting artifact to discuss now with Alpert we learned that he was basically chosen as we surmised to be a representative or an intermediary between Jacob and the people that he brings to the island because Jacob doesn't want to take action or directly push someone in a way. He's all about free will, making the right choice. But he says, okay, I admit, maybe I need someone to kind of to go between me and you. But that makes me really curious about, again, as we had mentioned, some of the things that Richard has done that we've seen that seems a little out of character for someone who's acting in place of, of, of Jacob. I once compared Richard to the Tom Hagen character in the Godfather films, but it seems like he's a little bit more than that. And he has several roles. You know, like I said, he's hired muscle. He's a go-between. He's an advisor. You know, I think he's probably all that Jacob needs to be in the flesh. Hmm. Well, I mean, I guess it makes sense that he's a nuanced character with, you know, not he's not always a good guy. But, I mean, you, you mentioned the, the hired thug because we can't let go of the scene where he turns up with uh, uh, Anthony oh, Cooper. Oh, Anthony Cooper, and yeah. And he tells Ben, you know, or he tells Locke, are you going to try anything stupid? Which just uh-huh. seems which seems like a gangster thing it was, to say. Considering everything that we've seen of Richard thus far, that is really out of character. Well, I mean, everyone on the blog is also pointing out what struck me, which is Richard, as we recall, was instrumental in helping the purge. You know, he, he interrupted with Ben and basically says your time will come and then when Ben's time comes everyone the Dharma initiative is wiped out and this is Richard who says that murder is bad so did Jacob want the Dharma initiative purged I I don't know um maybe the the purge had you know Jacob knew that the purge would have some future effect on events on the island and it had to happen that way I don't know if Jacob wanted it to happen but maybe it was something that was supposed to happen well it definitely made me go back and look up a very specific scene and line of dialogue of Richards that now I think is somewhat instrumental and key to maybe puzzling apart or teasing apart what's going on and that was when Richard was basically explaining how the others had taken over the army camp back Mm -hmm. in the 50s you know where Jughead was and basically he says that I had to kill them 
all. So again, Richard says he had to kill a whole bunch of people, despite the fact that the Richard in tonight's episode says that murder is bad. But specifically what he says back in the 50s is we gave them an opportunity to leave peacefully, but because they wouldn't leave, I had to kill them all. And specifically, he says that, you know, you you answer to a person, you know, that you have a chain of command. Mm -hmm. Well, I do, too. So in that scene, Albert is definitely saying my boss, Jacob, says that these army people had to leave or they had to be killed. And that is something that the man in black says about, about the, people the people in, in the, the temple. temple. Oh, so yeah. So these parallels both I can kind of point out some contrasts or contradictions within Richard, but are certainly, again, making more parallels between the man in black and Jacob that they aren't either, you know, they aren't quite as clear cut good or evil as we might think. I think mm -hmm. specifically that they had to leave peacefully or that's it for them. I think that's definitely key. Now, this episode is also a big one in terms of addressing the big picture, the overall arc, the primary reason for what might be happening and goes all the way back to conversations about being in hell, about being dead and in purgatory and well, first of all, do you think that that's that they're all dead? They're, I don't know. I think they're teasing us. They love definitive, definitively denying that something is the case, and then bringing it back a little in a, like a little tiny way, just just to needle us. I think. Yes, but after the whole time travel thing, I don't know what I, what to think anymore about them supposedly dismissing a possibility that turns out to be true. I, I am not comfortable with that. Well. I'm personally saying that it can't be hell because if you can get on a submarine and leave or come back to a place, it's yeah. probably not, you know, you can't, you can't check into a motel in California, then get back onto a plane and land in hell again. So Hell is not a minimum is, security prison. No. So I don't think that, you know, I think metaphorically they're making a lot of those, connecting a lot of those dots. For a lot of people, I think almost hammering it home a little too too much, mm -hmm. but I don't think that we're looking at a literal hell or a literal purgatory, but what our characters are going through, certainly those labels apply. I mean, we had a lot of stuff about the Bible, and of course, I'm not one to really understand anything about the Bible, <laughs> but we had all the conversations about God and the devil. There's a, There was a cross again, the, the necklace, the ideal idea of sin and, and being absolved or forgiven for it and being penitent about it, and of course, a lot of remembrances about Echo's character and whether oh, he, yeah, you know, absolutely. he was penitent or not. Uh, so so, you know, Christianity, Bible references, they've been a part of this show since the very beginning. They've always been a fabric, part of the fabric. Um, but and myself coming from non a non-religious background, I just find it interesting. It adds depth. It adds, you know, maybe a, a bigger picture or another way to interpret the occurrences on the island. But I can see a lot of people being frustrated that it might come down to being a giant, you know, biblical metaphor, a giant uh, a fable that relates to Christianity. I mean, you come from a more Christian, uh, Catholic background. Mm -hmm. How do you feel? about Lost if it might turn out to be a big Bible story. I don't think it is. The presence of so many different religions on the show, you know, ancient Egyptian symbols, Jewish symbols, Hindu symbols, I think what's going to end up happening on the show, it's the story of humans, the struggles of humans, and religion has, you know, sometimes been a struggle for people. It's caused a lot of pain and heartache on occasion, and I think that this this whole show is is going to be about a lot of things, not just religion. Well, I definitely, I, I, I share, I, I would at least like to hope that you're right. I don't think that it's basically one big Bible story. I think that it was a big factor in this episode, just like it was in Mr. Echo's episode, because of the background of the characters involved, the background of the people that were there and how they would explain the unexplainable. And that's how you also have Egyptian, you know, statues that were also used to explain the unexplainable. This entire show and the whole dichotomy between science and faith 
faith. In fact, both of those fields are about explaining something that we don't understand. And so I like how you put it. It's basically about the overall struggle. There are things happening to our characters, things happening on the island that defy explanation. So you have various ways to approach it, but not one single model is going to be the model for the entire show that we've been watching. But the fact that it's multifaceted certainly makes it much more interesting to discuss. Now, we hear more conversation, more exposition about the long struggle between the man in black and Jacob, but a lot of it we kind of surmised since the end of season five where they had that first conversation on the beach that uh, Jacob believes that man is not inherently evil, that he brings people to the islands to test them, to prove the man in black wrong, that they can choose right over wrong, and that they will do so of their own volition and not without him telling them what to do. And uh, the man in black again says that I just I don't, don't want to play this game anymore. I, I'm just trapped. I want to get off this island. So what what new information was given to us well, the, this week? The man in black implies that Jacob made him the way he is. He made mm-hmm. him be the smoke monster because he took his his humanity and his body. So now he's this huge force of nature that rips trees from their roots. <laughs> that's that's true. That's right. I mean, I mean you, you talk about origin stories. I guess we're learning the origin of the man in black to some extent, and it's key that. Jacob is responsible for making him that way, or at least it seems that way. Yeah, that's what I... And now he becomes this thing that Jacob is afraid of, that Jacob needs to contain. I I think that's definitely a key point. Well, there is that conversation. The island is a cork, Hmm. and we're kind of told that if the man in black gets off the island, it's really bad news for everybody. So the stakes are higher than just the lives of the Lossies. It's just, it seems like... The world is in trouble if this thing gets off the island. Right. That's true. That's that's that I think is kind of the overall point. And I think that's what we need them to kind of step to because every season of Lost has pulled back and pulled back and given us a wider and wider view of what this conflict is about. First, we think it's the others versus the other people on the island. Then we realize it's Widmore versus Ben. Now it's Jacob versus Man in Black. Um, the, the final chapter of any great story, however simplistic, however cheesy, is basically going to have to get to the point of Armageddon. And it's going to have to get to the point where we're all going to hell, as Hurley says, or mm-hmm. not. So, I mean, I guess that was certainly a good point to make. And a quark is a reasonable analogy in my mind to at least understand uh, what, in some metaphysical sense, the island is doing on the planet Earth. Jacob also reveals he kind of defines his powers and that of the man in black. For instance, he can't bring back the dead mm-hmm. and he can't absolve sins which to me sounds like well he's not god as people are saying because god can absolve sins. yeah if anybody can he would and the the, the thing about um, that he can't bring back the dead uh, that was sort of a clarification for richard because he's saying look i know this guy you talked to this man in black could make isabella come back even though it might not be her that's just not something that i'm able to do and people have always wondered if if jacob had similar powers and again it's even though they also say that jacob created the smoke monster he's saying that the smoke monster does things that he can't so i definitely find that fascinating and also jacob can grant immortality right which i guess we presumed i think uh, albert said you know jacob made this made me this way and there was the whole conversation about richard wearing gloves in some scenes like with ilana for example the people that he is touching or he isn't touching so i guess that's kind of key he says that he can't bring people back from the dead but i thought that was what we might have been seeing when jacob was off the island and he touched Locke after he fell out of the eighth story window when he was lying on the ground and he lays his hand on him Locke takes a breath and he's back was that not you know bringing someone back to life I don't know. The only answer I have to that is maybe Locke wasn't dead. Maybe he was dying, but 
there is a possibility that he wasn't dead. Well, I, I guess if you look at the scene where he saved Saeed's life, you know, unfortunately Nadia died, but he did pre- preserve um, Saeed's life as well. He saved Saeed's life, and maybe he saved Locke's life, and that's what's been going on. You know, in those I scenes. don't think he saved Saeed as much as he killed Nadia. Really? Well, I mean, that goes all the way back to whether you think that Jacob is a good person or not, or someone that uh, we, whose side we want to be on. But yeah, I mean, the the whole thing about him not wanting to be an actor, not wanting to take action, yet that seems to be exactly what he was doing in those scenes a lot of this stuff is, is is absolutely confusing and i still don't know how those jacob visitations fit into the flash sideways that we're seeing now are they the same universe are they the same timeline I, I don't know i mean i still don't know how the flash sideways fit into the whole scenario you know i don't know i don't really understand how the flash sideways is happening and until we know that it's really hard to actually do. i think they kind of gave us that now that i think about it the flash sideways can't be in the same world that jacob went and touched everybody because in some of those visits by jacob it was post crash oh it true. was post eight fifteen going down and eight fifteen did not go down in the flash sideways so there there's something else going on there wow i'm starting to give myself a headache i think oh your nose that's very nice um but as far as that battle we also hear through his conversation with ilana that these are the last candidates jack kate hurley these candidates are the last ones we've seen all the crossed out names on the cave wall in the in the lighthouse so i guess in raising the stakes even though we feel this is a cycle that's been happening over and over again he says it to richard and we've gotten the sense that it's happened many times um that this go round is the last one this go round has to either work or just it's it's curtains for everybody it's hell for everybody he's already manipulated people we've already seen him change the outcomes of events we've seen him manipulate how do we know this is his last go round you know he says that but for all we know this has been going on for a million years why would it stop now so he tells everybody that they're the last candidates that uh, that, that maybe that's how he kind of motivates them to do the right thing maybe? i don't know i mean if everything on this show is a big circle why would it end well but if you get the sense that it's going to happen even after this last test that we're apparently building up to then what's the end of lost really either hmm. well somebody else being jacob but then jacob's you know the, the new jacob's reign is going to end and that person is going to have to find the new leader hmm. interesting i i'm not sure how i feel about that on one hand i can see the poetic um greatness of a story when it ends it's actually the beginning in fact at, for as long as we've talked about lost as long as we've seen jack wake up on the, the the floor of the jungle we've always said that the end of lost is the beginning of lost so yes maybe it is a big loop and this isn't the last round but on the other hand if you want the end of the show to be significant and if you want the stakes to be as high as they can be i have to believe that we did kind of basically go through all eligible candidates in jacob's entire pool of candidates throughout history and this is his last gasp this is his last try so i'm kind of torn i'm not sure what i want in that uh, final thud of lost what where i want us to be do i want it to be the beginning of another go-round here with jacob's replacement in place and uh, the cycle begins anew or do i want i think what i want is for it to be final for it to be the end for it to be the conclusion to everything, whether it's a happy ending or a sad ending, whether it's the ending I expected or wanted or not, I think that what makes Lost, what would make Lost satisfying is for it to be a beginning and an end and, and that's it. How, how do you feel? The whole thing about Lost is 
cycles. So, and, you know, nature is a cycle. History is a cycle. So I think the idea of the story of Lost being a cycle is the most poetic. I guess. And I think since we saw the first opening of the pilot with Jack waking up, up on his back in the jungle, we have sort of got the sense that that's what they were setting us up for. And at the very least, with it being a cycle, they've opened themselves up to the next sequel with another <laughs> great bunch of characters. Uh, well, other parallels that came up in this episode, we had the way that the man in black sent Richard to kill Jacob. Take this dagger and get him before he can say a word, which is the exact same language that Dogen, a disciple of Jacob, used to explain to Said how to kill the man in black, or at least try to. Now, of course, there was the whole theory that it was just a suicide attempt in any case. Um, but, right. but still, I think that the fact uh, that they've basically illustrated that both the man in black and Jacob are kind of basically trying to kill each other is key because just like with the parallel with the purge of the army people and the people at the temple that they're more alike than they are different. Well, the thing that I'm wondering about is um, in this case, when Richard came to the temple, Jacob attacked him. And, and when we saw Ben going into the temple and stab Jacob, he didn't fight. Well, I think that's definitely a key difference. And I think what we're it basically cements the clear theory that when um, Ben stabbed Jacob after Jacob basically provoked him is that Jacob wanted to be killed or at least wanted to be stabbed in that case. Whereas in most circumstances, or at least 200 years ago, um, Jacob was not interested in being killed. But he also seemed really surprised that Richard was there to kill him. I mean, you know, it's, it's right. Right. He didn't. He, it seems like he didn't see that coming at all. Actually, yeah. He says in the conversation with the man in black at the end, like he tried to kill me. What What's up with that? As if. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's, it's as if this is the first time that the man in black in this attempt to get off the island decided that the solution was to kill Jacob. So that's interesting, too, because that means that maybe these murderous attempts, the one that Ben basically executed, have only been going on for, what, 200 years. So it hasn't been. It, it must be escalating over time and is therefore not the same battle every Every time it ends, well, you know, as he says. Well, that's why I like the idea of the whole thing being a cycle, because with each go-round, they can get successively angrier at each other and, and start doing more and more horrible things until... I don't know, it ends somehow. Well, that's what I mean. It has to end somehow, especially if we're pointing out a, an escalation in the battle. So I'm not sure what the end point is for, for, for this, this struggle. I don't know, they finally kill each other. The both, of them, both of them are killed. Yeah. Well, I mean, that certainly sounds cataclysmic enough to say, I don't know, sink an island maybe. So maybe that could be one way that they're ending it. Also, by the way, I was surprised that Richard's story began in the 1800s, that he, I guess he was a regular person at that point, yeah. and then ended up on the island, and then became immortal, because I thought, you know, Egyptians, and I thought it went way further back. I thought Richard's story was much longer than that. Yeah, so did I. Now, um, we did get a couple of other answers, I suppose, to check off the great list, and they were both basically the same thing, which the questions being, what happened to the statue? Why did the statue get knocked down? And how did the Black Rock end up in the middle of the ocean? And answer... Big giant wave. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I guess that's pretty pretty clear. Is that satisfactory well, to you? Well, this says to me that, well, if you believe that the statue being knocked down caused all the fertility issues on the island, then you can say that Jacob 
caused all the fertility issues on the island. That's true. I, I, I completely, I mean, I didn't really see a direct correlation between the presence of the statue and fertility problems on the island, but I guess if you did take that as a given and Jacob conjured the storm that brought the Black Rock to the island, then yes, he sort of caused that situation. It, it didn't seem, especially by the way Man in Black describes what happened, that Jacob was happy that his great statue was knocked down, though. I mean, I think Jacob might have been fond of giant Tarret there. It's just that uh, things didn't turn out quite the way that he had planned in bringing the Black Rock. But yeah, that's that's one that's an interesting way to think about so, it. So speaking of stabbings and deaths and stuff, here's a really crackpot theory. You know, okay. when Anthony Cooper showed up. Yes. I think Anthony Cooper was the smoke monster. Well, I think that that's one reasonable way to explain how any great random people can turn up on and the island. To me, it all came down to the knife. The knife that um the knife that Ben gives Locke to stab Anthony or slit Anthony Cooper's throat with mm-hmm. to me look like the same knife used in the attempts on the man in black's life. Huh. So and actually I think he does say something like you should not let him talk or don't listen to him at least, right? Just kill him now. Sort of the same thing that uh, everyone's been telling either the emissaries of Jacob or Man in Black to kill the other person. The so, only the only hole in that theory is that Sawyer was able later to strangle Anthony Cooper. I mean, I don't know. I mean, that kind of debunks my theory. But... Right, and then, then Ben basically got to carry his body around, too, so it's not like Smoke Monster. <laughs> if he was play-acting, it was certainly a heck of a dramatic performance to play a dead body. But I kind of like that, though, because we still don't really have a clear understanding of what the whole Anthony Cooper episode was and what the significance was of that sacrifice that Locke supposedly had to make by killing him. But if by some great conspiracy or positioning that that was actually an attempt, an earlier attempt to kill the man in black again through sort of the same rules that we've been learning about that works i mean i'll, I'll take that theory over over any other until until anthony cooper's appearance is, is better explained um a scene that kind of stood out again also because it wasn't fitting in with the overall narrative about richard's backstory was the scenes in the uh, russian infirmary and right. it jumps very quickly from a scene where as we saw before ilana has all of these bandages on her face and then the next time she speaks very quickly thereafter she She's her beautiful Ilana self, and she doesn't have the bandages. What were they trying to tell us there? And hopefully not just that they couldn't find the bandages when they reshot the the later scene. I I don't know. Maybe Ilana has some kind of similar abilities to Jacob. Maybe she's a contemporary of Jacob. I don't know. Well, what I'm wondering is... At first, I thought that the bandages had to do with an injury, that she had been hurt. But then when they take the bandages off, she's got bruises, but she doesn't look like, you know, she's had some kind of major facial damage. Uh, I don't know how to be not gruesome about that. But now when I look at that, it seems almost like when she takes the bandages off, it might be a new face for her, that maybe Ilana was undergoing some kind of reconstructive or plastic surgery, which I might be a little too far-fetched, but I guess maybe one theory that I might have is that Ilana was somebody else in her past, that uh, she had a different face and a different name. Um, but is there any time to possibly get into her backstory? I'm not entirely sure. No, I don't think so. <laughs> but I, I did definitely think that was curious. In terms of, uh, of strange things, we had a couple of uh, sort of paradoxes i think introduced in this episode one of them was again that when we saw the black rock off the shore of the island uh it was in calm blue waters in the middle of the day and jacob and the man in black have a conversation about it this episode it's dark and stormy and lightning and they can't see and the islands are roiling and they it's 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 completely different so 
how do you explain that the, basically that sort of co- contradicting scenarios for the Black Rock's arrival? Well, I don't know if I can explain it, but it definitely reminded me of Flashes Before Your Eyes when um, they take off from the island and it's, you know, island-like and then they fly into a storm and then Desmond freaks out because he can't remember anything. I guess. I mean, yes, I mean, the transition, whatever that transition point is off the island, certainly is stormy and rough. And actually, since the beginning of the series, we've seen random weather patterns just sort of come in out of nowhere. So I suppose that's that's one way to explain it. What I had thought originally is that, oh, maybe just that the ship that we saw at the uh, at the end of season five was just another ship. It was just an earlier ship or a, la- a later ship that was, again, one of the many ships that um, Jacob had brought to the island. And that seemed like a straightforward scenario, Except that in the official Lost podcast, they said, nope, yep, yeah, that was the Black Rock they were looking at. So it had to mm. have been basically a sudden atmospheric storm. But the other thing about them knocking down my theory about it just being a different ship is the whole mathematical issue that comes up with the the ledger, the the journal oh, from right. the Black Rock when, yeah. when Widmore basically bid on it in, in the present. I mean, they say in that episode that the final voyage of the Black Rock was in 1845, and it wasn't until 1852 that they found the ledger on an island off Madagascar. And in fact, that someone named Hanso had a hand on it. And of course, right. Hanso, now we know, was the owner of the ship. So it seems reasonable that he would want to reacquire that, that journal. But what's significant about that is that the, the, if this last voyage was in 1845 what was the black rock doing leaving the canary islands full of slaves in 1867 i mean that's that's almost 20 years later and it's not the final voyage anymore yeah well i mean there have been time inconsistencies throughout i i don't know it seems maybe there'll be a good explanation involving a donkey wheel maybe i don't know (laughs) actually it's funny you should say that um jeff you know well she has lost uh, from maryland he had a very involved theory that he called in with that basically yes that the black rock actually arrived and was offshore for a while they sent a scouting party first again during the time when the sky the skies were clear and the ocean was calm and that scouting party basically got led to the frozen donkey wheel and got sent off in order to deliver the uh, to deliver that journal in an earlier time mm. for it to be recovered, and that it was valuable because of the things that were written in it, but it it would explain both, you know, that that because there is time travel, so that's one, and also he kind of picked on the fact that um, the 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 man in black had a completely different haircut this time on the <laughs> on, on the island than he did in the scene at the end of season five, but. I don't know. I'm going to say I think the simplest explanation is that uh, the math is just wrong, that uh, maybe Greg Nations is going to get a flogging or two. Is there anything else in this episode uh, that you thought was notable or interesting? I love um, Richard's almost hysterical giggle when when they ask him what's next and (laughs) and he doesn't know. I I just I love that. It was such a it was such a little thing, but I thought it was just it was great. Well, you know, the, the everything with Richard's backstory was so epic and dramatic. It was, I think, one thing maybe we did need those other scenes for was to add some of the lighter moments. I loved that little giggle, the girlish laugh. I also liked when Jack is getting all up in Hurley's face about Jacob, and Hurley's like, look, dude, it's not always about you. I loved that. that. Was fantastic. I've, I've been waiting for somebody to tell Jack <laughs> it's not all about you. But that's I, I can't. I, but then I feel for Jack because two episodes ago he was basically told it is all about you. You are important. <laughs> so will someone get the story straight? Poor Jack, man. 
Batman. Um, I I like the the way that the the man in black basically responded to poor Richard, you know, hapless Richard, saying um, he wanted you to have this white rock. You know, <laughs> I, I just thought that you know I thought that was a really great light moment as well. Um, the, something I noticed that kind of kind of reminded me of our good friend Kelvin, you know, who Desmond confronts on the on, on the cliffs, Mister Krabs. Yeah, Mister Krabs. Um, the the just in this scene in this episode, Richard gets into a little kind of fisticuffs with the doctor and next thing you know he slips on a banana peel bonks his head and he's dead i mean there's something about the skulls on this show are absolutely too made of um, butter yeah, i don't get it so alvar hanso we hear his we hear his name right and i, I thought that again also the name of the person that had the uh, that had the journal before it was uh, bought by widmore but you know that all goes back to the hanso foundation and uh, they were a funder of the dharma initiative right and i mean a lot of this stuff comes from the arg but uh, there's a you know people People who are frustrated with the religious undertones and the God and like, where the heck are all the scientific explanations or at least some scientific critical thinking about what's going on on mm-hmm. the island? I think it's because of Hanso's name turning up again and Widmore turning up again that uh, we I, I'm not willing to I'm not going to say that they've given up on that. I think that there's going to be more of a science sort of exploitation maybe of the island coming up. So Whitfield, to me, it actually sounds a lot like Widmore. I mm-hmm, mean, that mm-hmm. couldn't have been a coincidence. No, absolutely. Shana in Alaska said exactly the same thing. As far as names, we had uh, Ricardo, different from Ricardus. Um, Ricardo, meaning brave ruler, and uh, Amin in Michigan uh, called in to say that Isabella's name is actually derived from Elisheba, Elisheba? Um, who was the wife of Aaron, who was in turn the brother of Moses. So hmm. again, more you know, biblical names coming up there. Well, uh, there aren't any locations really to talk about in this episode since it was all historic and basically on the soundstage for the most part or in the jungle. So I guess that means that's it for our thoughts on Ab Eterno. Up next, we'll hear your thoughts and theories and you all, everybody. <laughs> Ryan and Tim, what's up? John from North Carolina. Holy freaking crap, it is about freaking time. Richard Alpert, flashback episode. Dude's been around since season three. So many questions about him. They finally give us this episode, and wow, what an episode it was. Hey, Ryan Jen, this is Big Joe in Pennsylvania, and all I can say about last night's episode is holy freaking carbono. I gotta say, I was not very impressed with his character so far through this season, but last night, wow. What an episode for Nestor Carboneau and his character. Loved it. Ryan and Jen, this is Roger in D.C. This was a great episode, this past past week's episode. Uh, That was some of the most tremendous television I've seen in a long time. Uh, We got a lot of answers. This is definitely the best episode of the season and possibly the most informative episode in the series. Hi, Ryan and Jen. Uh, this is Eric calling from Oakland. Um, I really liked the episode. I thought it was really interesting and a nice break from the flash sideways. Hi, what's up? Uh, this is Francisco Cangiano, uh from uh, Puerto Rico. Uh, first-time caller and a uh, long-time listener. Uh, it was a great episode. Uh, I think it was one of the top five episodes of uh, Lost uh, ever, uh, especially the best one this, this season. Uh, it's been a long time uh, coming, so it was pretty good. Hi, Ryan and Jan. This is Suman from California. That was finally a satisfying lost episode. I've only been waiting nine episodes for this. 
that finally answered some questions. I think I'll watch the second half now. Hi, Ryan and Jen. This is Michelle in New York. I'm stingy with my holy freaking craps, but I have to say, holy freaking crap. That was amazing. That was absolutely amazing. It was wonderful. I am not going to say anything else because there's too much to say, and I can't wait to hear what you have to say. So have a good night. Enjoy the episode, and aloha. Aloha, indeed. We started things off with a number of calls on Ab Eterno, and basically, I think a lot of people loved it. If it's possible to hear holy freaking crap too many times, I definitely think we got that this week on this episode, but certainly earned tremendous television, absolutely, and uh, we want to hear what everybody else has to say as well. Now we go to Mr. Jacob, Chris, and Barry. Aloha, Ryan and Jen. This is Mr. Jacob calling to discuss Ab Eterno. Uh, What I loved most about this episode was that they took their time with the story. You know, I think back to an episode like Dead is Dead where it seemed like they were just trying to jam as much story as possible and answer questions and uh, answers are nice but it should never be at the expense of the story and uh, that gives me hope for the remainder of the series that we won't lose those character moments Um, I love seeing Titus Welliver as the Man in Black once again hopefully we get more of that and uh, no doubt that Nestor Carbonell's acting was amazing but I think Curly deserves a nod here as well that scene at the end was really nice um a lot of people saw how Isabella appeared before Albert on the Black Rock while Smokey was wrecking havoc above. Awesome scene, by the way. And uh, they were wondering how that could be. But I think they're forgetting that scene where Kate and Juliet are running from him in season three, and he sort of merges from three smaller Smokies. So I don't think there's any doubt that he can be in more than one place at one time, and maybe he has different people, too. Um, I find it inter- interesting that both Ben and Alfred tried to go to Smokey's side, but were pulled back from the ledge by others acting on Jacob's behalf, like Ilana and Hurley. It kind of makes you question just how free free will really is. Um, okay, take care, guys. Thank you. Ryan and Jen, wow. This is Chris in Cleveland. That was an amazing episode. Um, I don't know how to pronounce it, but it was super, super awesome is how I would say it. Uh, anyways, quick, quickly, I will say that... Uh, it seems like it was real heavy in the Roman Catholic faith, and obviously I think that was because it was uh, showing you the view of Richard, so that's kind of his thought, his belief system. I think that, you know, we've seen other varieties of that, especially uh, more of a science-based faith when we've seen our losties come there, uh, and Dharma. And I think that this episode kind of points to the fact that maybe Dharma really did have a bigger role than we kind of give credit to them. You know, they were there, uh, in theory, to uh, decipher the Valenzetti equation and predict the end of the world. I think that that Valenzetti equation, which is the numbers we have, was going to predict when, basically, the cork came out of the bottle, when the end of the world was going to happen. So, uh, maybe, I don't know, uh, just uh, for what it's worth, I thought it was a kind of a cool idea. All right, thanks. Bye. Hey, Ryan and Jen. This is Barry in Wisconsin. Um, Last week I called and said that was the worst episode of the season. This week, best episode of the season. For a non-island story, all flashback, I think it advanced a lot of the story in answering so many questions about between Jacob and the Man in Black and um, Richard's motivations and reasons for what, why he does, what he does, when he does it. And... um, I had this point to bring up about the Bible passage. It says, "But I tell you of a truth, many window. But I tell you of a truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout the land, all the land. Um, isn't that three years, six months? How long they've been on the island? 
um, including um, like the three years they were back in Dharmaville and the six, the original six months. So I think that means something. I'm not sure what, but I, I think that's about the right amount of time frame. So thanks a lot for your podcast again, uh, and we will talk to you hopefully again before the end of the season. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for those calls. Well, Mr. Jacob loved the episode, said that he's glad that they didn't rush it. And I think yeah. that's definitely what they didn't do. I mean, I agree that it was a slower paced episode, but for whatever reason, I was definitely in the mood to savor it like a like a delicious steak or something. It was no, just, just I mean, good. the set design and the costume design alone to me made it so worth it. It just brought me into a different world. But he makes a good point that a lot of people were questioning how we could have um, basically Isabella running around down with Richard below while there's a big smoke monster sound coming up from above. And yes, I guess the smoke monster can be in two places at once, I guess. But it is curious because I thought that he could be either a smoke monster or a person, but not both. So we have to have uh, maybe a little still somehow more questions about how Mr. Smoke Monster works. Chris in Cleveland um, pointed out, I think rightfully, that there, there was a God Jesus Christian heavy element to this episode but that's because it was the language of of Richard that's what he understood and I think when they scanned Richard when the smoke monster scanned Richard and basically introduced this whole thing about you being dead and being in hell he knew that that was the only way to really reach Richard and to motivate him yeah that's true and I hope that he's right that if not the Valenzelli equation that science is going to come back into this show and finally Barry in Wisconsin diving into the biblical reference that I was kind of afraid to and basically saying that it it refers to a time period of uh, three years and six months and that that's the time period that we've been following on the show. I mean, does that sound right? Does that add up? Well, I don't know. The math sounds right to me. I mean, okay, three years in the 70s. Mm-hmm. They were on the island for 108 days. It's a little over three months. Three there. months, yeah. So I, I don't know. It sounds like they kind of come up short, but it, it, it's relatively close. Well, I mean, we're not at the end of the series yet either. I mean, we still have some time to cover before the end of the series. So it could be a, a three years and six months at the end. I don't Maybe. know. I kind of like that. I mean, I looked up the Bible passage, or at least I thought I did, and it was uh, Luke four twenty four, and it was something about uh, a prophet not being um, welcomed in his own town, or basically upsetting the people from his town because he's saying, "I'm not going to treat you any more special than anybody else." Uh-huh. But then I got into, so are they saying that Jacob is the prophet, or is uh, Richard the or prophet, Locke. or somebody? So at a certain point, I definitely realize when <laughs> I definitely realize when I'm outclassed. Well, next up, we're going to hear from Shanna, Deborah, and Michelle. Hey, Ryan and Jen, it's Shana from Alaska, calling about last night's episode, which was awesome. My favorite scene definitely was when Jacob was talking to Richard about um, the wine with the cork and how the island is the cork. Uh, That was really powerful and um, just a really great way to explain to us what's really going on. And um, my husband and I both really liked the religious tone, which has been going on, obviously been going on for the entire season or the entire show. but to me, I'm sure you'll get lots of comments about this. It was really um, a testament or a story about Job, because in the, in the Old Testament with Job, the devil's telling God, even you know your your best disciple or whatever is corruptible. You know, even even if you give him the worst circumstances, he's going to you know turn against you basically. And that sounds like that's what the argument between Jacob and Man in Black is. You know, he's saying. You're going to, no matter who you bring, they're all going to be corrupted. They're all going to, you know, sin or whatever. And Jacob's trying to prove them wrong. So it's like a very parallel story between between the two, which I thought was really cool. All right. Thanks. Bye. Hey, it's Deborah from North Carolina. 
What a cool episode. And there wasn't a flash sideways to be seen anywhere in this episode. It was all Richard Alpert. Um, So I think what we're seeing in the flash sideways is what it looks like with the cork out of the jug. Since the island is underwater, that says that what's happening in the flash sideways is what happened when the man in black unlock was uh, able to get off the island. Now, what we don't seem to know yet is how that happened and and when that happened and all of that, but I think the flash sideways is the result of that. So um, I'm imagining that bad things are continuing to be in store for everybody in the flash sideways. All right, that's all. Uh, Love the podcast. Keep up the good work. Hey, Jen and Ryan. My name is Michelle. I'm calling from Rockford, Illinois. I just wanted to share a thought with you. Um, Number one, I thought this last episode was just amazing, Uh, really giving us something to look at, to hold on to, and to really um, maybe confirm or deny some of the theories we've had in the past. One thing that I just found absolutely fascinating was when Jacob uh, gave the description of the wine bottle and the wine inside of it uh, being the evil and that the cork is what's holding the evil in place. And then in the last scene where Man in Black looks at it, holds it upside down, and then smashes the bottle, it's just him thinking outside the box. There's more than one way to release the evil from this island. There's more than one way to get out of this trap that he's in, and he's had a long time to try and figure out what those uh, ways are, and I just think that uh, he's figured it out, and uh, it should be very interesting to see how he goes about that. All right, thanks, and uh, you guys do a great job. I enjoy listening to you every week. Mahalo for those calls. And first up, Shannon, Alaska, at least hoping this unwashed heathen sort of (laughs) understand the religious undertones of what's going on. She certainly likes it. And uh, Solomon from New York called in several times with a multi-part explanation, also tying everything to the book of Job. I think maybe I might want to read that if I'm reading any of the other books that are being (laughs) mentioned on Lost. But from what I understand, Job was subjected to the very worst that could be, you know, beset upon him. But he does not become corrupted. He does not question or doubt. He basically uh, survives that and things turn out well for him. So I guess Job is going to be the person metaphorically in loss. Well, yeah, Job will be the... This Job will be the person who proves the man in black wrong. So my, I guess, do we know of our candidates who's our best Job? I don't know. Hurley? I I don't know. I mean, we, we Hurley always refers to his curses, except in the flash sideways when he refers to his luckiness, but maybe all, all, his, all of his... Bad luck is kind of like a trial. You know, actually, I, I like that. I like that a lot because you're right. You know, Job also felt that he was cursed, that uh, and and all of his friends thought that he, he had done something wrong and he deserved what was happening to him. So I guess yeah, that sort of sounds like Hurley. And I think we've said all along he'd be one of our favorites to be the one standing at the end of all of this. Deborah from North Carolina saying that the flash sideways is the worst case scenario. That what we are seeing is that the man in black got off the island, and as a result, everything we're seeing in the flash sideways is going to end badly. 
That's a scary thought. I mean, that's a little depressed, especially after we loved, for example, the redemption of Ben. That and it's yeah, turn out and, bad and for him. Jack. I mean, don't you love how Jack went? And I mean, if if we actually see all of this go badly, it's it's going to be kind of sad. It would be kind of sad. It would be certainly daring on the part of the writers. I, I I'm not sure how I feel about that. For me, when I see the island at the bottom of the ocean, I don't see a cork that has been removed, or an, or or for example, a bottle that's been broken, but that uh, it's completely and permanently closed, or it, or it's no it's no longer a factor. So right. I kind of saw it more as uh, as possible evidence of things turning out the other way. Michelle from Rockford, Illinois, saying that when we saw the man in black break the bottle, it's him thinking outside the box and that it's not going to be as simple as uh, getting off the island. He's got some other big way to basically win out over Jacob. Well, all that makes me think is if the cork is the island and the wine is the evil or darkness, what exactly is the bottle? That is true too. I mean, what 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 what's the metaphorical equivalent of that? And, and as far as as far as what we've seen, I think that it's kind of cool that he's saying that breaking the bottle is a way around the cork, basically. But it does seem like, so far at least, that he is basically trying to take that run at the cork. He is doing what is expected, which is trying to get off the island by what seems like fairly contemporary or conventional means. We now move on to calls from Benjamin, Matt, and Chris. Hello, Ryan and Jen. This is Benjamin from Durango, Colorado, first-time caller. And this is a strange episode for me to be losing my transmission virginity on. Um... Do we have any evidence that Jacob cannot turn into a smoke monster in the same way that Man in Black can? I mean, the more we learn of Jacob and Man in Black, the more they seem to share. I mean, they will likely have the same origin story. They seem to be blood relatives of some sort. Um, I mean, they got their immortality the same way. So why would Man in Black be able to turn into the smoke monster but not Jacob? Why would Man in Black be able to give visions of the dead, but not Jacob? So I think this would provide a very interesting dynamic as it would force us to re-examine the scenes that we've seen of the smoke monster and trying to sort of discern their motivations. I mean, sure, Man in Black and Jacob are very different. They're two sides of the same coin, but that coin came from the same mint and those minerals from the same mountain and I just think it would be very interesting if um, Jacob had all the powers that Men in Black did. All right. Um, looking forward to hearing from you. Thank you. Bye. Hello, Ryan and Jen. This is Matt Anderson calling from Minnesota. Well, after seeing this week's episode, I think we have uh, probably the best idea we could have ever had about what the whole show is about and what the island is about. So what I wanted to ask you guys is, do you think that the island – is really just something to contain evil, or is it to contain the men in black, which would then make Jacob's role not necessarily a protector of just the island, but a protector of the whole world, because he's trying to contain the men in black from infesting and spreading into the whole world, which would mean that Jacob is sort of a warden, and the island is sort of a prison. So if that's the case, is the candidates are losties. Are they just vying for role of the new warden? And is Jacob even more powerful or equally powerful than the men in black? Or is the men in black actually the most powerful being that we've seen so far? I know I just threw a lot of questions at you, but mostly I'm wondering, is the island a prison made just to contain the men in black? What do you guys think? Have a great day. Thanks for a great podcast. Hi, Ryan and Jen. This is Chris from Chicago. Love the podcast. Long, 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 long time listener. 
first-time caller. Now, I was wondering, do you think that whoever will take over um, the job that Jacob is doing now, you know, of the you know six candidates, do you think they're going to play the same game with Man in Black that Jacob is? Like, let's say the loss wraps up and MIB is stopped from leaving the island. What's to stop him from trying, just trying the whole thing again? I mean, whoever takes over from Jacob really won't know anything, and MIB will have the advantage. And again, why did Jacob do that to MIB? Clearly, he said that um, he gave him the ability to become a smoke monster and the ability to see into the brain and project images and shapeshift, as well as claim people and make them turn into like dark zombies like Saeed. One can assume, one can assume Jacob did this to, to him since he uttered the line about humanity, you know, about him losing his humanity and Jacob's betrayal and his body being taken and having been an ordinary man once. So it's safe to assume that Jacob is the one that did this to him. So why would Jacob make him into a monster? Like, it doesn't really make any sense. And why would Jacob make him, like, literally almost invincible? That doesn't make any sense either. I, I don't know. Just, so what, so what are, what are you, your guys' um, opinions of this? Again, love the podcast. Love you guys. Sorry I rambled on for a bit. But this is lost we're talking about. It's important stuff. This is important stuff, and thanks for those calls. <laughs> um, basically, all asking sort of the same questions about the similarities or differences between the man in black and Jacob, and why one has more power or is more powerful, or if that's even the case. Benjamin says that uh, what if Jacob has the same powers, actually, that he always could be, for example, a smoke monster and could be manipulating people in the same way. That would really add a twist to what we've seen thus far. I mean, maybe even the man in black isn't fully aware of Jacob's powers. Well, that, I think that'd be interesting, and I, 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 for everything that we've been discussing this episode, I want to go back and watch the entire series and see how we see things differently, but if we had to account for a different smoke monster and everything, I just think that might be a little, just one extra fold or one twist too much. Now, Matt Anderson says that basically the island is a prison, and Jacob is a warden, and the man in black is a prisoner, or is it uh, something more than that? Well, it's Jail has been a recurring theme on the show. I mean, we see mm. jails everywhere on the show. Sawyer is in jail. Kate is on her way to jail when the plane crashes. Ben is locked up in the hatch. P- lots of people are locked up in different places and different forms of jails. So the idea of the island being a jail kind of appeals to me right i mean i think i think certainly that's what they're what they're putting out there but uh so i like those parallels or that theme but the the question that he's having and i think the question that chris also has is that well so but how are you containing what seems to be someone who's much more powerful than you why would you create something that has more abilities than you i mean how does this scenario happen well if jacob truly did make the man in black what he is he might have done so by accident i mean maybe he was attempting to contain him in another way but it just backfired and and the man in black was smart enough to evolve into this creature i guess i mean to, maybe taking away his body and taking away his humanity was a way to stop him but it just it had unintended consequences and right. i certainly i can certainly see uh, the scenario being that uh, jacob opened a pandora's box and is now basically trying to fix the problem that he created um, but definitely some great thoughts while we're at an hour already but i think we're still going to barrel along here on the lost line now we go to calls from ben carmel and teresa Hi, Ryan and Jen. This is Ben in Bloomsburg, Pennsylvania, first-time caller. In Abiturnum, I saw a lot of parallels between the island and the hatch as quarks and as the part- with the partnership of the people who take care of them. 
Now I think the hatch was releasing malevolence every 108 minutes, not just electromagnetism. And that could account for the bad things on the island and maybe some of the bad things that we've seen in the sideways world after the hatch and the island have been blown up. The caretakers of both the hatch and the island also spend time trying to convince other people either that their roles are important or are meaningless. Jacob says that it's important, and if we accept that version, the whole thing is for the sake of the man in black. Now, I'm not convinced that the man in black will be someone that we know from history or mythology, but I think his redemption will be central to the ending of this series. For some reason, Jacob is doing this all for Smokey to prove to him that men are good. And why is it important that he recognize that? And how could it happen? I think that maybe somebody or two somebodies have to come to the island, choose not to fight, and then simply die naturally. Sounds like a couple of people we know who are living in peace in the jungle right now, and many of us also suspect are the originals of a pair of skeletons. I think Rose and Bernard might be Smokey's redemption. Finally, I wonder if any other viewers of The Office see Jacob as the more capable, younger brother of human resources manager Toby Flenderson. There are some times when Mark Pellegrino's on screen that I swear he's going to start whining like Toby. Anyway, thanks a lot, guys. Love the show. Hi there, Ryan and Jen. Surprise, surprise. It's Carmel from Israel who visited you back in September. I got some extra credit left on my Skype account, and I felt the urge to call after this amazing, possibly best episode of the series, which finally revealed the purpose of the island, the frame story, and the endgame. Although I'm happy with the many answers, I'm now very confused about the first seasons, and so much just doesn't add up. Did Jacob order to kidnap the candidates in order to test them, or was it Ben's twisted idea, not knowing about the candidate system even? Uh, was the man in black in touch with Ben at some point, or else how did he know to summon the smoke monster from his Dharma back room? And why are the Whitmore and Ben in such a fierce fight when they're both Jacob people and should focus on the big picture, which Whitmore seems to be aware of? Nothing in the past makes sense. Most of all, what happens if Jacob manages to prove Smokey wrong? Will he just give in at the sight of the first good person and go back to his chamber? Why even play this game and not just keep Smokey bottled in the island without attracting more people? I was just wondering if you guys have any idea how all of this could be settled in the same narrative. I'm thinking along the lines of Ian and Yang that the white cannot be purely white. It has to fight fire with fire and black with darkness. That's why no candidate is a pure person. You've got to know evil in an intimate way in order to be its keeper. Can't wait to hear your thoughts on the episode. And uh, take care. Bye-bye. Hi, Jen and Ryan. This is Teresa in Detroit calling after this week's episode of Eterno. And so, yeah, this week we got our long-promised mythological download. Uh, the island is a cork holding in the evil, keeping it from getting all over the every place. Jacob is the one who's in charge of keeping the cork in the bottle. Okay, that's great. I buy it. Here's where I thought they could justify this a little more. Um, Jacob wants to bring people to the island to prove the man in black wrong. Man in black wants to escape, spill his wine of evil, and, and Jacob wants to draw people to the island so that he's wrong, so that Man in Black is wrong about the nature of humanity, that's not a good enough reason, it feels like to me, to take such an enormous risk, to take such an enormous risk of, you know, him getting killed, of 
of the men in black escaping, there needs to be a better reason, something greater than bragging rights. I mean, we know that Jacob does like to gloat with his white rock and all that. Uh, so maybe something could be gained from having the man in black proven wrong. Maybe that would discourage him from wanting to escape. Maybe that would wipe him out entirely. We need a reason, a really strong reason for Jacob to keep over the course of centuries, it seems, bringing people to the island. Something drastic has to be at stake here to make the story worthwhile. That's all I got. Thanks for the podcast. Mahalo for those calls. Well, Ben says he's got the solution that the person who's going to prove the man in black wrong, the people that were that's going to prove him wrong, we've already seen. We have already seen the end result, in fact, that it's Rose and Bernard. That's beautiful. But, you know, I mean, I would like this decision to be made. I would like to see the man in black go, okay, those two, <laughs> that's my proof. I guess. I mean, it's it's nice, but I'm not sure if it would be satisfying um, And uh, for Rose and Bernard at this point to resurface and be the pivotal, you know, game-changing piece. I'm not sure if that works. Now, Carmel from Israel, definitely good to hear from her all the way. She came to visit us, so we thought that was fantastic. Yeah. But a number of perfectly rational questions that as we see what's t- turning up here in these later episodes, some of the stuff that we've seen in earlier episodes don't make sense. But I think she makes a couple of assumptions that I wouldn't. For example, I agree. I don't think Ben's list and kidnapping these people who are candidates had anything to do with Jacob. I think that either he was following the man in black at that time or right. he was just, you know, serving his own ends. And the thing about um, Ben and uh, Widmar, why are they fighting if they're both on the same side of Jacob? Is are, Can that be a safe assumption as well? Maybe they're not aware that they're on the same side of Jacob. You know, They're both trying to serve their own purposes and not really having any idea of why. Well, it could be, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend right. or something like that, but I also see that maybe Widmore's motivations are different. I think I, I, what I feel that has been telegraphed from early on is that Widmore wants to exploit the island. Right. It's been said a number of times and Ben, for whatever his purposes are or whatever his motives are, he's not been trying to exploit it so much as control it. And so, right. I mean, again, but certainly fair questions. I think yin and yang is where it's going to come out, that it's not going to be a simple as a, a or B, that it's going to be some gray area and combination mm-hmm. in between. And finally, Teresa in Detroit saying that okay, I can get, I can get with this. I can understand what we're we're being told, but there it has to be more than a grudge match. There has to be something bigger at stake. And I think that's what they're leading up to. Right? We we all certainly expect there to be a great payoff. Maybe if the man in black is proven wrong, he doesn't leave the island. Yeah, I think that's what she said it might be. But I can also see that. Seeing the man in black not do something, that that's, doesn't, yeah. it doesn't sound exactly like a rip or in good time. And that's where the island being at the bottom of the ocean comes up once again, that maybe it's not going to be the man in black being proven wrong and he doesn't leave the island, but something much more cataclysmic and much bigger happens. But I think we all share the same concerns, worries, expectations, um, and we're only going to have to wait a few more weeks to see uh, <laughs> how it all turns out. We'll squeeze in one last set of Lost Line calls, Alan, Terry, and Aaron. Hey, Ryan, Jen. This is Alan from Chicago. Uh, just calling to let you know that was a great episode, and I uh, I realized something about the uh, smoke monster uh, I thought I'd share with you. Uh, I realized that the uh, smoke monster has his own candidates, and it's pretty much what the, all the scanning's been about uh, for the entire show is that he's checking to see if uh, they have the ability to kill or uh, perhaps be sw- per, uh, be persuaded to um, uh, kill Jacob. And uh, I think that's why 
when it scanned Mr. Echo, Mr. Echo had uh, lost the ability to kill, and so that's why Smoke Monster killed Mr. Echo. Anyways, uh, thanks for doing the show. Talk later. Ryan and Jen, Harry from Michigan. Just want to call and say that was an excellent episode of Lost. I really enjoyed it. Uh, just an observation. Um, there was a storm when the Black Rock crashed, crazy storm. There was a crazy storm when Desmond crashed, I believe, and there was also a crazy storm when the French team crashed. Uh, what this means, I don't know, but I just wanted to point it out. Maybe you guys have thoughts on it. Uh, thanks a lot. Love the podcast. Have a good weekend. Bye. Hey, Ryan and Jen. It's Aaron in Washington, D.C. Just watching the latest episode. Really enjoyed it. Um, been waiting to see Richard's backstory, so that was very cool. And uh, I just wanted to make sure that you guys noticed, I don't know if, uh, at uh, 30 minutes and 10 seconds, Locke's voice comes out when he says, uh, I think he's feeling like you aren't the only one. And it's very clearly Locke's voice. Um, anyways, worth uh, worth checking out. That's that's the smoke monster that's uh, speaking of that other guy, the other man in black. The man in black. Uh, cheers. Bye. Thanks for those calls. Well, Alan from Chicago making a similar observation about Mr. Echo. Yeah. I think it's good to point out that it turns out it's not scanning you for being a good or bad person. It's scanning you for potential usefulness. Yeah, basically. So certainly a good call. And I think, you know, the penitence or lack thereof was also key between the two of them. Terry from Michigan, you know, as we did, noting the uh, storms and the weather issues when people arrived on the island, but I'd forgotten completely about both the, the Desmond and the uh, French team getting the storms when they There's arrived There's also well. a storm when Juliet and Sawyer and all them are flashing through time and they're in the canoe. That's true. That's true. That's sort of a sudden storm. But there wasn't a storm when 815 crashed. That's true. It was a beautiful sunny day on both sides of the island. So I wonder yeah. I wonder if there's any significance to that. And finally, Aaron, our good friend Aaron in D.C., hey, Aaron. Um, picking up what he thinks is a voice of Locke coming out of the man in black. Let's take a listen. I saw him take her, but I couldn't do anything to stop him. But if you are the black smoke, you... You aren't the only one who's lost something, my friend. The devil betrayed me. He took my body. My humanity. So what do you think? Was that Locke's voice briefly in that conversation? Well, you know, at the time, I thought it was Locke, but now when I hear it again, I, I'm not really sure. Well, one thing I definitely picked up in the way that uh, Titus Welver is acting, the way that the man in black is acting, is he's uh-huh. acting Terry O'Quinn. I mean, it, I don't uh, how it would be going backwards in terms of narrative explanation, I don't know, but I think it has to be a clear direction given to the actor to kind of act in the same way that Locke is acting, because I definitely kind picked of, up on those parallels. kind of hard. I mean, I kind of give him credit for that. But you know, the thing about um, different voices coming out of uh, characters' mouths, that's come up time and time again in this show. Well, there's this really cool book called Things You Never Noticed About Lost. It's by Wozzeck. Um He mentions, points out quite a few instances of characters speaking, but you're hearing other voices. Right. There's there's quite a few of those. So if that was actually the intention, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. So there's I mean, and I think we've everything that they play with sound on this show from whispers to backwards words and everything. I wouldn't put it past them. I'm not sure if that was Terry O'Quinn's voice there, um, but I definitely picked up on the similarity. Well, we had many, many more calls on the lost line. And so we've indulged ourselves going along on this podcast. But we do want to get to a few comments from the blog and that came in via email. Camille writes, I always thought it was silly when people clap at the end 
end of a movie in the theater. It's not a play. The actors can't hear your appreciation. But last night, alone in my room, as a lost flashed across the screen at the end of the episode, I started clapping. Hands down, this was the best episode of the series. Luke in California feels similarly. He says, this is by far the best episode this season and one of my favorites of the show. Maybe it has to do with how highly anticipated it was and with how much it paid off that anticipation. I have to say that Nestor Carbonell has in this one episode established himself as one of the best actors on Lost. His flashback was gut-wrenching and absolutely compelling. To this point, the writers really haven't given him much to work with, so I'm glad we finally got to see what he could do. Christina writes, I absolutely got caught up in the episode. Of course, it probably had something to do with getting to meet Nestor Carbonell at Ice Palace this past Saturday, so I'm biased. <laughs> Lucky! Quick thought. I know there were, dare I say, no answers regarding our main characters, but perhaps it was a push to say to the audience the island is part of a grander scheme, a larger picture, a more epic struggle that has been going on for so much longer than when the characters we are attached to arrived. I also think Jacob didn't start looking for candidates until this first attempt on his life by one of the people he brings to the island to show the man in black that people can be good. Actually, that's a good thought that the, the candidates to replace him weren't an issue until he thought that he might not be there any longer. So that's that's a good thought. And got to meet Nestor Carbonell at Ice Palace. I actually met him a, a couple of weeks ago in Kailua and yeah. you were absolutely mad about that. But I have to tell you, everybody, he is as nice and sweet as you might imagine he might be. Chris in Durham, North Carolina writes, very enjoyable episode, but I was disappointed in how little it told us. Everyone who watches this show on any sort of regular basis would not consider Richard coming on the Black Rock as a big surprise. And aside from that, what did we learn? I do suppose we have more evidence that Jacob really is the good guy, or as the man in black continues to say, maybe he's just really persuasive. I like the big picture story of Jacob and man in black unfolding, but it sure seems to render about three years of this show as pointless. The Dharma Initiative especially seems to be a contrivance now, just something shiny to keep our attention and keep the theories rolling, but ultimately pointless. I continue to fear that Lost will ultimately cannibalize itself as it comes to a conclusion and this makes me sad have some faith dude I, we're not i'm not ready to give up yet and I, I like i've said i think several times tonight i think the science stuff is nowhere near done andy writes i can't believe how praising everyone is of this episode for me it was the most tedious episode ever except maybe stranger in a strange land Whoa. i had better explain whilst the story was well done and the acting fantastic i found it didn't tell us anything we didn't already know or strongly suspect i feel they could have given us the entire thing in half the time and used the rest to progress things a little. Wow, Andy in England pulling no punches. Stranger in a strange land. I hear what you're well, saying, <laughs> but you're wrong! Well, that's uh, copyright our friends at Film Spotting. <laughs> in any case, I, I agree that mathematically, yes, his backstory could have been told in half the time. A lot of those long lingering shots could have not been included and I think that they could have used the extra time to advance things on the island, but I love that they took the chance of alienating people like Andy and because they wanted to tell the story then they told the story that they wanted to tell. And yeah. that kind of gutsiness. Like, I think it was just a beautiful episode, and I'm willing to give them that uh, indulgence. Check in maybe in four episodes and see if I feel the same way. <laughs> Connie in Oregon says, My most niggling thought about this episode is about the island and Jacob's explanation of its purpose. Evil already exists in the world in large and nasty quantities, so what is the island really keeping out of the real world? Is it 
Evil on a scale that will defeat all good in the world? Also, who put the cork in the bottle and who placed Jacob in his position as guard? Man in Black may be a bad guy, but I'm not sure he is the evil being kept at bay. He's just an entity who believes that mankind tends toward evil. Finally, Jacob seems to possess godlike powers. Man in Black can do some neat tricks, but has no real power to do anything. Well, I, I, I suppose Jacob is more powerful than Man in Black if he can create him and has so far kept him at Maybe bay. Maybe it, it just has something to do with balance the the way that right, the right. island works it's it's very it depends on on balance and maybe if the balance on the island shifts the balance on the world shifts right and i can sort of the scale comes into play the black and white the yin and yang i can see that and she makes a fair point that it's not like we don't have a good fair share of uh, evil out here in the world as it is but i'm going to assume that man in black or smoky evil is far far worse than what we've got michelle in new york writes the moment where richard buries the crucifix was particularly touching to me he asks for eternal life for the sole purpose of avoiding hell but of course avoiding hell also means losing any afterlife and that means he will never see isabella again retrieving the cross and offering himself to the man in black represented an embrace of damnation something isabella would not let him do she in fact saves richard from literally going to the dark side at the very last moment and leaves me with the hope that maybe they will at some point be reunited well you know i do think it was a beautiful moment i think it was redemption for richard but i'm not sure if we're going to see richard and isabella reunited i mean you know you've got death and Penny, you've got Rose and Bernard, you've got Sun and Jin. I'm not sure how many more reunifications that we're going to be able to fit into this episode. Yeah, that's just, it's a little bit more romance. I liked, I liked her explanation that really we are together. If yeah. you've got this, if you've got your necklace, if you're not trying to bury me, then I am always with you. And I think that's something, especially with the Little House quote, that they're kind of trying to pound home with us. Carolyn Boston writes, I don't want all this to end up being all about religion and God versus the devil. It seems like during the season finale last year, the whole show took on a different tone. They introduced these characters at the last minute and were supposed to reconcile that Jacob versus Man in Black are the reason for everything the past six years. Well, I mean, I think we addressed uh, this may or may not all be about religion, but yeah. do you think that, you know, Jacob and Man in Black completely turned the, the tone of the whole show? I'm not entirely sure. I don't think so I don't so know. I think the tone of the show has evolved a lot over the last few seasons and I think just this big epic struggle is kind of the the logical conclusion to the story. I agree and I think at the end of every season they've done something to pull the camera further back show us the bigger picture and this is the natural final chapter. I share the concerns as a non-believer myself that uh, this whole religious turn might be a little bit too much but I'm, I'm not ready to put the show to bed just yet. Dave in Alabama writes I think the part of the religious symbolism from tonight reflects the scientific knowledge of that period and perhaps Jacob explaining things in terms that Richard could understand. I certainly hope they follow through with some of the science as it complements the religious side as they both are about the same thing. And if the island is acting like a cork in the bottle, maybe all hell will break loose scientifically, a geologic catastrophe, and religiously, hell breaks loose. I think the end will present both sides of the same thing like the show has done all along, the whole faith and science thing. Well, there you go, Caroline. I certainly feel the same way as Dave. Eric from Ohio writes, Richard cannot be claimed by Smokey or the devil because he is covered by the grace of God. He has asked for forgiveness for his sins, and although the priest did not grant that forgiveness, ultimately it is up to God. Later, notice that Richard was baptized by Jacob after the man in black tried to manipulate him into killing. Someone said they don't want this to become a religious debate, 
debate, and I have to laugh. It's no debate. The religious debate is the TV show that we have all been enjoying for the past six years. It's just becoming clear to many people now that that's the story. Well, so Eric is basically saying that what Carol believes and fears is what's going on, that it is a big (laughs) religious story. I think that it's more than that, but I'm willing to uh, accept that when you talk about good versus evil, it's going to come to biblical comparisons naturally. TV Sci-Fi writes, Jacob and the Man in Black are so powerful there are only two explanations left. One, science. They are using alien or future technology. Or two, (laughs) faith. They are supernatural beings. When lost is done, one side or the other might not like the answer. It depends on whether you are a person of science or a person of faith or a combination of both. It would be amazing if the writers could pull off both somehow. After all, doesn't good faith require logic and reason and doesn't the best science start out as a leap of faith? I, again, I think a good answer to the, you know, is this a religious story or a scientific story? And I share the, the hope that it's basically both. And I think it would be brilliant. But since we're talking about comparisons to the Bible, Let's end with a comparison to another book that a lot of people are thinking about. Jeremy in Rochester writes, The scene between Richard and the man in black on the Black Rock was a textbook homage to the scene between Randall Flagg and Lloyd Henride in The Stand, so much so that I almost let out a fanboyesque squeal as it happened. With The Stand in mind, I can't help but wonder if the parallels will get even closer. Could Claire be lost trash can man, both crazy and inadvertently causing the demise of the man in black? Will Sawyer be like Larry Underwood, who will die in the service of the side of good? Will Ben laugh in the face of Unlock's power like Glenn Bateman, only to die at the hands of Saeed? And what about Kate? Is she Franny? Would that make Jack Stu Redman and Hurley Tom Cullen? So many obvious influences, and even if it does go this way, I won't be disappointed in the least. The character archetypes in The Stand are some of the finest in modern literature, and if Darleton want to borrow from them, more power to them. Well, The Stand is my favorite book, Uh so I would love that. And I believe that Darleton have said on more than one occasion that Lost is just The Stand on an island. Mm. And there are so many parallels between the characters and that's because Stephen King's characters are really great you know just not only in the stand through through all of his books and you could try to draw parallels between Lost's characters and the stand's characters but that's kind of I think missing the point of the whole story I mean the struggle that happens in the stand it's kind of the struggles that mankind has always had and that Lost gives us well you know i've not read the stand and if if the law if lost ends up basically a depiction of the stand i'm going to be happy because that's a big book and it would probably take me forever to read it i've seen a number of really good debates between you know who's the trash can man and who's larry underwood and you know kind of drawing these these one-to-one correlations i think that's kind of fun that's a great experiment but i agree with you that what the greater point of of stephen king's book and what we're seeing as the greater point of lost is these characters are all interesting well-developed Um, very compelling, but overall they're still players in a larger conflict, a bigger battle that's basically coming to a head. There's really something I'm confident big at the end of Lost, and whether it is The Stand or something else, I'm still along for that ride. Oh yeah, me too. Well, that is all for our You All Everybody segment. As always, we enjoyed every thought that you shared with us, even though we can only include some of it in this podcast, and on our blog for this episode, over 380 comments and going straight 
strong. So um, clearly there's a lot to discuss. And if you think we missed something, I guarantee you someone has said it on our blog. Our favorite part of the show is you all, everybody. So don't forget to join the conversation on Tuesday night after the episode. You can post your thoughts on the blog, hawaiiup.com slash lost. Email us at lost at hawaiiup.com or call and leave a message on the lost line. That's right. 815-310-0808. However you share your feedback, we rely on it. Whether you're explaining the Bible or the stand or Donnie Darko or Gilligan's Island and how it all plays into this, (laughs) um, we want to hear from you. Now, coming up in about three minutes, the forward cabin. But first, once again, a musical treat from the Others Lost Band. This is their latest track based on last week's Sawyer episode, Recon. And this track is titled Little House. Jim, wake up, you've been out a while I'm with Locke, I know it's not him We're not leaving without sun High yourself, Kate Go see what's in Claire's crib It's all that Claire had Cause she didn't have air And Locke says you must be tired The night was long and traumatic He knows you have a lot of questions Sawyer's not with anybody What happened to the people at the temple? Smokey killed them Dozen just us antiques And Miles knows that you lied Charlotte's fountain pictures Guess you'll have to bring her whip next time It's either kill or be killed You're the best liar John's ever met Claire pulling a knife on Kate Was inappropriate A cop On the prairie people 
The latest song from the Others Lost Band. They're a great group based in Boston. They write a song based on every new episode of Lost, and you can find out more and hear more of their music by going to their website, theothers.thethungs.com. Of course, we'll also have a link to them in our show notes on the blog at whatyup.com slash lost. And we do want to thank them for allowing us to share their music on our show. Yeah. Well, here in the Forward Cabin, we look forward, and that starts with the next upcoming new episode. What's it about? It's entitled The Package. The synopsis reads Sun and Jin desperately continue their search for one another and Locke confronts his enemy. Well, sounds like a Sun and Jin centric episode maybe if they're still searching for each other. I certainly hope they find each other. Have you seen my husband? (laughs) I need to find Sun. Um, And uh, Locke confronts his enemy. It'd be great if they actually come into contact sooner rather than later, I think, in this season. Well, that's this week's episode, but we're looking far, far, far ahead when we're talking about the filming reports for this week. It was a relatively short week. They were all over the island Um, But, of course, they're getting better at hiding, so details get more sketchy, but I'll share what I've got. Now, on Monday, the 22nd, they were still at Waikane. Um, This is by the pier again, um, north Mm -hmm. of Kualoa. This is where they were at the end of last week, and again, they were well out of sight. Um, I can say that at the trailers, the folks did spot Kate and Hurley and Sawyer, and uh, specifically noted that Kate seemed to have some kind of injury or blood on her left shoulder, but that's pretty much it for that day, uh, thanks to Jan, as well as Francie for that report. The next day, the 23rd, it was uh, Jack, Kate, Sawyer, and Hurley, but they were filming on the beach. Now, interestingly enough, they covered the sand up with boxes and life jackets and, again, things that kind of look like the results of a uh, a shipwreck of some kind, and they were all sort of staring out at the ocean. In the scene, Jack basically goes down near the water to pick up a backpack, and he opens it up. He then goes to the other three, he tells them something, and starts walking away, and they all follow him. Later, a separate scene was Jack and Kate filming alone on the beach. Now, first they were having a conversation, but then Jack was on his knees, basically bending over Kate, who was kind of uh, lying down or against a log, and he was basically doing something that uh, it wasn't clear, but it looked like he was sewing up a wound, basically sewing up an injury that uh, Kate had, and that kind of jives with the earlier report, and uh, basically a nice parallel of Kate sewing up Jack in the pilot episode, Mm. I thought, and uh, it uh, thanks to Francie for that report. Now, uh, Wednesday was a fun day or not. Uh, They were at Judd Trail. That's a very popular filming location. Now, Mm -hmm. interestingly enough, for the last week, Judd Trail, that location was basically being used by another production. It's a George Clooney movie. It's being called uh, The Descendants. And I'd been so used to people calling me and saying, hey, I think Lost is there. And it took me a while to basically figure out it was them. So when I heard that, oh, there was, yes, film crew working at Judd Trail, that, oh, that's probably George Clooney and his buddies. Unfortunately, it was not. It was lost, but nobody went 
to see. But I can tell you, there was a jungle scene on Wednesday. Now, on Thursday was an interesting day. They were down in Waikiki. And interestingly enough, they revisited and rebuilt a set or a location from the past. It was the Flightline Motel. That was Locke's Motel, basically, where he lived near the airport. We saw the oceanic plane fly over and uh, where he basically tried at the last minute to propose to Helen and got shut down. Mm -hmm. Um, So I thought that was interesting. It was Locke's Motel, but nobody saw any filming, but spotted on the scene was... Was Hurley's yellow Hummer. So I'm not sure if Locke's involved, but Hurley was definitely involved in a scene at the Flightline Motel near the airport. And I do want to thank Stephen for that report. They were also on that day supposedly seen at Sacred Hearts Academy. That's on YLI. But unfortunately, that report came in well after the fact. I do want to thank Eric for letting me know. Now, Sacred Hearts Academy has been a location before as well. The exterior was the exterior of the church under which the lamppost was hidden. So maybe that was it. The church right next door was also the church where um, Christian Shepherd's funeral was held. So maybe they were using that location. No way to know, but that's where they were. I just share what I have. Now, Friday, it gets more interesting. They were at Rehab Hospital of the Pacific. That's on Kuakini Street up in Nu'uanu Valley. Um, The scene included Sawyer and Juliet. So, yes, Elizabeth Mitchell back in town, back working, and for whatever reason at that set. Now, again, we don't know if it was actually a hospital or if it was playing something else. I guess we're going to see. According to a guard, there was also scenes with Kate and Jack as well. Um, That same day, they were also out at Police Beach. That's the famous beach camp once again. And for that scene, Claire, Miles, and Lapidus were at work. And in the scene, Claire comes out of the bushes with a rifle. And, uh, well, unfortunately, everybody got moved off the beach at that point. But certainly, at some point, there was a shot fired in that scene. And uh, finally that day, uh, still Friday, they moved down the beach to near the Ajira Plain once again. And actually, they set up rain machines. So it sounds like another sudden storm. And in that scene at the plane, Miles and Lapidus once again not sure if Claire stuck around for that and I do want to thank Billy and Francie for their reports on Saturday actually that's today as we record this podcast um, they were again back at uh, the base camp which is uh, parked along Nu'uanu Avenue and this is where they've been for the scenes that I just mentioned filming at the rehab hospital and a number of actors were cited there they include the actors for Locke, Jin, Sun, Sawyer, Claire, Kate, Desmond and Juliet. Yes, Elizabeth Mitchell back in town working again. Now, what makes this interesting is that that was, again, the base camp for the hospital shooting, but there was also a shoot today downtown Honolulu at O'Toole's, which is an Irish bar right there on Merchant Street, also a previous lost location. Yeah, Uh, that's where Desmond was thwacked in the head. Right, it was Desmond's bar, although I'm presuming they're not in London in this case. In any case, they've been there before, but since they were in two locations along Nuuanu Avenue, the actors that I just listed we're not entirely sure which scene or which location they were necessarily working at they could be at either we can say that at least at the trailers kate curiously enough was dressed in a robe or maybe a hospital gown so that was kind of curious and perhaps she's in a in the hospital scene Um, but let's move back downtown again to o'toole's they were basically setting up for a stunt or fight scene for saeed so saeed was there naveen andrews as well as jorge garcia or hurley and his yellow hummer of course (laughs) omnipresent now it seems in that scene and basically what seems to happen is that a bunch of men are having a brawl or a fight on the on the sidewalk 
dock there, and Saeed jumps out of Hurley's Hummer and basically gets involved, and he fights with a dark-haired man. And uh, perhaps most curiously, also on that scene toward the end, Shannon turns up. Yes, Boone's sister, or I guess better said, Saeed's on-island love interest turns up. She was dressed a little, shall we say, provocatively uh, provocatively in that scene. Maybe she was the cause for the brawl, and perhaps Saeed gets involved to come to the rescue. I don't know. That's kind of an interesting development for for Shannon to turn up and for Saeed to be in the scene, but certainly a resolution, I think, that a lot of people are hoping for or imagining in their head. Um, And a late report just in that they were also filming at a church. I'm not sure where. This comes in by text message, but there was a church scene as well because they had extras that were all dressed up as if they were going to, say, a wedding which would be kind of cool because we're looking for the Locke and Helen wedding, perhaps. But it could also be, unfortunately, a funeral. And as we've learned on Lost, the wardrobe and locations for both of those events are essentially the same. (laughs) So we're going to have to wait to see if we get more details there. That's just hot off the presses. I do want to thank Wanda for her uh, report, going down and checking it out, and again, Francie. Now, that's the shoots for this week, and certainly I think there's quite a bit to chew on, but I did want to share one last tidbit that actually comes from an early earlier shoot because it was at the rehab hospital, the one where they're filming this week. But this was several weeks ago. And as I reported on um, our podcast, that scene involved Locke and Jack as well and Helen. And uh, now I'm getting basically details of what was going on at that time. In that earlier scene, Locke was at the hospital because he got injured. And uh, we're presuming that that's the car accident that we also reported on. But basically, he's in the hospital and Jack is there because he happens to be there, perhaps making his rounds. He wasn't specific specifically there to see Locke, but he does indeed get into a conversation with Locke to try and get him to take him up on the offer for that free consult that he mentioned at the beginning of the season. And of course, Locke was resistant to that. In this scene, he tells Locke that you have to have faith. So mm. a neat little tidbit of dialogue from uh, from another scene at that same hospital where it seems everybody is starting to converge and come together. And I do want to thank Billy for his report there as well. So that's it for the Forward Cabin, our filming reports and other tidbits ahead for this final season of Lost. And that means that's it for this episode of The Transmission. Don't forget, this show is powered by you all, everybody. So please join the conversation on the blog after the episode airs on Tuesday. You can comment there or you can call the Lost line or you can send us an email. We love hearing from you. We love hearing your thoughts on Lost. Of course, we like to talk about other things as well. And so we're always available for some everyday time. Talk story on Twitter. You can find me at Hawaii. And I'm at Mrs. Hawaii. So let's have a conversation and let's look forward to this next episode of Lost. We're in the final stretch and we're glad you're taking this ride with us. Thanks for listening, everybody. Stay lost. Aloha. Aloha. This podcast is a proud member of the Lost Podcasting Network. Get all your favorite Lost podcasts in one feed at lostcasts.blogspot.com.